Praise God. Praise God. Uh, hallelujah. Just remain standing for just a moment. I, I just want to thank you. Anytime that somebody says something nice to you about you, that's wonderful. But I just came to tell you right now, up front, first thing out of the gate that I'm not here by myself. And I'm not here for myself. I have help from heaven. And uh, it, it's wonderful to hear, like I said, nice things about you, but I'm representing Jesus. And we have help today. We have the head of the church right here with us. He's walking these aisles. You brought him with you. Wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he's right here to meet your needs and to be at the ready to take you into the next phase of your assignment and everything he's called you to partake of and to participate in. And I'm just telling you right now, today is a special moment. Today is a special moment. Normally, and I won't have you stand very long, I promise, uh, but, but I just, I want to honor this moment and then I want to pray and then we'll be, uh, we'll be seated. Well, we won't be seated. You'll be seated. And, uh, but I just want to tell you that normally when I pastor my church, it, it's funny because um, I'll, I heard a, a man of God one time, he's in heaven now. And he said <clears throat> to ministers, to a group of ministers, he said, when you are uh, preparing to minister, he said, study, study, study as if there's no Holy Ghost. And then when you step up to minister, you minister in the power of the Holy Ghost like you didn't study. <laughs> I like that. And that's how, that's how we go at church. There's so many times I walk up uh, with a, a, a page full of notes and the Lord just absolutely sovereignly moves a different direction. Um, but today, that's not the case. Uh, as I was talking with Pastor Jack a couple of weeks ago, I hung up the phone with him uh, one point in time, I guess it's about two weeks ago, and literally almost when I hit end on the phone, it dropped into my spirit what I was supposed to share with you today. And so I just want to let you know that this is a divine moment, I think, for West Houston Christian Center. I think this is a divine moment for Houston. I can't tell you, I got off the plane, he brought me back, we had breakfast yesterday morning. Um, he brought me uh, to the hotel, and as I was in the hotel yesterday afternoon, compassion for the city of Houston just overwhelmed me. Like, I can't even put words to it this, this, this morning. And, and so I just want you to know that you're not alone. I want to start this time together by letting you know that you're not alone. And you know that. Of course, I, I'm, I'm in an amazing church full of amazing people, pastored by amazing pastors. And, and glory to God. Let's give them a hand for what they're doing. Glory be to God. But sometimes we can be at the place where we get nonchalant and we can, we can kind of fall back a little bit and we can rest on what happened yesterday. We can get to the place where we're, we're uh, resting on our laurels, so to speak. But God has not called us to be a people that does that. God's called us to be a people that is moving forward because God is the same. Jesus Christ, uh, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And he is, the father called himself, I am. He could have chosen any kind of words. He could have chosen anything to call himself, but he's always the great I am. And so where you are as a church and where we are as the body of Christ at this point in human history, he's right here, right now, the same as he's ever been. Amen. Amen. Glory be to God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together today. I thank you and we honor you. King Jesus, we thank you, head of the church, that you are with us and we have help. Father, I thank you right now that not one word I speak would fall to the ground, but I would just absolutely display and convey the heart of God to the people today. That I wouldn't transgress your word or transgress your uh, orders this morning, Father, by saying one word too much or one word too little. And I thank you, Father, for it. I thank you that you are doing with the word in the people's hearts what you will do and what your desire is for the people. In the name of Jesus, I pray. 
Amen. Hallelujah. You guys could just high five one more person and sit down this morning. Yes. Yes. Glory to God. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, uh, I have just a little bit I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about me, but uh, I'm going to wait till at the very end because I don't want to break this flow. Uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is just going in a certain direction, and I just want to honor, honor him today. Hallelujah in everything that we do. I will say this. My name's Anthony Wade. I have a, a lovely, beautiful, amazing, gorgeous wife, Jennifer, at home in Lebanon, Ohio. I have two uh, children. My daughter, Aniston, is 15. She's a freshman in high school. And my son, Avery, is 13, almost 14. He's a seventh grader. And so um, they have sewed their daddy into uh, West Houston Christian Center this morning. And so I am so happy to be here. I'm telling you what, your staff that I've met and the people all around, um, just beautiful. Uh, this church reminds me of ours uh, in, in some ways, I, I got to say. So um, anyway, hallelujah. If you brought your Bible, open up to Isaiah chapter 46. Glory. <clears throat> and I'm going to do my level best to stay up here and preach. I know that I've been told about the lighting. I know it might be a little darker down there, but I can't make any promises. <laughs> hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 46 just going to read verse 10, going to start out there. <clears throat> verse 10 says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Amplified Classic says it this way, it says, declaring the end and the result <laughs> from the beginning. Declaring the end and the result. Now, it's one thing to know something that's going to happen. It's another thing to know all the results and all the fullness and everything that you intend to accomplish at the end of a thing. Now, I don't know about some of you. Maybe you're... Uh, Maybe there's some business owners in here. Maybe there's some teachers. Uh, my wife was a, before my first, uh, my oldest was born, she was a fourth grade teacher for five years. And so like a teacher, for example, you, you know what you want the end result to be. You know what you want the, the, the children to learn. And so you teach and you move towards that end goal and everything along the way you're doing to support that end goal, right? Right. Same in business, same in church, uh, pastoring a church or, or anything like that. But now God, we're talking about a whole different level here. We're talking about a whole different level. When God declares a thing, he knows the end result and he knows his plans and his purpose. He knows exactly what his will is and his desire is throughout the whole course of events and what the purpose at the end is going to be. Because with God, everything that he does leads to a harvest. Can I get an amen? amen? Everything God does leads to harvest. Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, he said the whole kingdom, all of it, is as a man would go and sow a seed. And sometimes we, we try to dumb that down, uh, you know, not here, I know you don't do that, but here. But I know that sometimes we can dumb that down in our thinking to offering time. We can dumb that down to like one little sliver of what the kingdom represents. 
And kingdom prosperity uh, involves money, but it involves so much more. It's literally living out of the overflow of the Zoe life of God to where you're so full and you live to the overflow. You have all the love you need, all the peace you need, all the joy you need. You have all the kindness you need. You have all the wisdom you need. You have the mind of Christ. You have finances overflowing to where you can meet every uh, financial need. You have social needs met. You have mental needs met. Come on, somebody. And so when we dumb it down to any one sliver of what God has called us to walk in, we're doing a great disservice to the kingdom lifestyle because what we're called to do is walk in fullness in every area of our life. Jesus proved this time and time and time again throughout his ministry. One time they let a man through the roof and he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And he could tell all the religious people, he, he perceived their thoughts, he knew what they were thinking. And they were like, man... This guy is now forgiving sins. We've heard all these other things about him. This was kind of close to the beginning of his ministry. He said, we've heard all these other things about him, but now he's forgiving sins. Jesus perceived their thoughts and turned and said to them, what is easier to do? Forgive the man's sins or tell him to take up his bed and walk. And then he's turned to them. He said, so that you will know that the son of man has the power to forgive sins. He said, I say to you, he turned to the, to the paraplytic man and he said, take up your bed and walk. Glory be to God. And so there's a fullness that God has for our life, and he knows exactly what he wants to do in your life. Okay? This is the main thing. I think they asked me for a title uh, last night. I just kind of prayed in the Holy Ghost for a few moments, and the Lord gave me a title because I like to honor the media team. I think I said the end of your faith. Is that what I said? Uh, Okay. I wanted to make sure I got that right. The end of your faith. The end of your faith. Oh, look there. The end of your faith. Well, you guys got a great media team. I'll tell you right now. Hallelujah. Give them, give them a hand. Wow. Jonathan doing a great job with that team. I don't know who made the thumbnail, but you did a great job. Um, so here's the thing. We've, we're called to live like God lives. Now, that doesn't just include holy. A pastor referred to this. You know, Be ye holy even as I am holy. Right? We say at our church all the time that God created us to be human beings, not human doings. Right? Some people think that uh, in every religion of the world think you do the right thing over and over and over and over for 40 years. Someday you'll be the right person and you'll, you know, you'll be able to step into some kind of paradise someday. Well, Christianity is the only, re- well, I'll say religion just for this so, so it'll set in your thinking. Christianity is the only religion, which is really not a religion, but where while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. While I was at my lowest, while I was at my worst, when I didn't deserve anything, when I was so unworthy of anything, he died for me. And watch this, made me worthy. Made me worthy, made me to be able to stand in a place just like Jesus, side by side with my big brother. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Christ Jesus. Anything the Lord Jesus can do, I've been called to do in this earth to represent him. And we, and we dumb this down to where hopefully we can make it through this, this life. Some people only expect 60, 70, 80 years. I'm going for 100 plus. But they just think, you know, we get through this 100 years and then maybe we can make heaven someday. Come on now, somebody. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is to be transformed by the transformative grace and power of the Lord Jesus so that you can make a difference in your world. Yes. So good. 
Glory to God. And you need to know that you've been made worthy. I know we already received communion, but uh, 1 Corinthians 11 talks about those who take it unworthily. It's not that I used to be so scared until I understood the gospel. When I was a kid, I used to be so scared about that. Am I, am I worthy when I'm taking this? You know, if I'm going to drink this, I'm going to drink you know, death or damnation to myself. No, 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 no. What he's saying is you need to drink it with a mindset and a heart set that you've been made worthy. And when you do that, now there won't be any that sleep prematurely among you. You'll be able to step into the fullness that you've been called to do because you know that you're, there's a worth, there's a value. Jesus, there's blood between your life and heaven. Come on. The Lord Jesus laid his life down and there's blood between you and every part of your destiny. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. And so Jesus, turn to uh, John chapter 6 with me today. The end from the beginning. You know, there's something about, <clears throat> there's a common theme that goes through this word of God. And uh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I am going to, uh, so let's see here. John chapter 6 is another feeding of a multitude. Pastor Michelle uh, shared about the feeding of the 4,000. This is the feeding of the 5,000 arguably maybe a little better known story. Uh, and I, I hate to say story, but uh, rendering or of what happened, right? This isn't a story. But um, John chapter six, this is where Jesus, uh, he's moved with compassion. If I could just set the stage for you, this is one of the few uh, that th this is talked about in multiple gospels and you can piece together all the gospels to, of this account and really gain a really good picture of what's happening here. This is a really cool day. In fact, this 24 hour span of Jesus's life, I preached a sermon one time, uh, a day in the life of Jesus. And I talked about this day and just everything that happened from this time all the way overnight, how he was, they were translated to the other side. And uh, this is the same account where Jesus was walking on water, would have passed by them. And uh, anyway, then the people the next day, they, they came to him. It's all in John chapter six. They came to him because there were no other boats that left this side of the lake, right? Actually, I'm a little bit ahead of myself. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Um, let me share something with you out of Mark chapter 6, if I can. Let me just do this. I just have a prompting in my spirit to do this. So Mark chapter 6, I want to want you to see why these folks were there in the first place. They were on vacation. Everybody say vacation. vacation. How many of you would like to be on vacation here soon, right? <clears throat> Mark chapter 6. And uh, let's just read a couple of verses so we can set the stage here. Verse, starting in verse 30, Mark 6, 30 says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus, told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So Jesus had just sent teams of people out to minister. They came back to Jesus and they're sharing with him all the awesome things that God did through their lives, but through their hands, through their lips, amen. And, uh, and Jesus said, okay. Uh, basically well done. And he says this in verse 31, Jesus said to them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Come ye yourselves apart to a desert place and rest a while. He said, well done. Basically, I'm paraphrasing this, but I'm kind of inferring here what Jesus is doing. You just came back from a missions trip. You went out on ministry and now you're back. So let's all take some time and get apart and rest together for a while. Why? Let's read the rest of the verse. For there were so many coming and going that they had no leisure so much as to eat. 
Now, I want to, <laughs> we've, we've seen some amazing things. Um, I've been to Africa twice going back later. We're doing a missions trip to, um, to Mexico, leading a team from our church. We're going to Mexico uh, into the jungle here in three weeks. And, uh, and I'm going to do another, going to Nicaragua back in the fall. I have three international trips that I know of this year. God's doing some amazing things and all there's all glory to God, no glory to us, but I'm just saying we're just doing it. So I know what it's like to be moving, right? I know what it's like to be constantly you know, working for the Lord. I'm a pastor, so I receive phone calls, and I, you know, you know how it is. But I've got no clue what these guys were going through. I can't even, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around not even having enough leisure to sit and have a meal because there's so many people coming in and out of my house and so many people getting healed and so many miracles popping and so many things happening that I don't even have time to eat. <laughs> I think about this. They didn't even have time to eat. All right, and so verse 32 says this. <laughs> so they departed into a desert place by ship privately. Wow, they had a private, private plane, I mean private ship. <laughs> Apologize. Um, just kicking over a sacred cow there. Verse 33, and the people saw them departing and many knew him. Okay, now watch this. And ran afoot thither out of all cities. Everybody say all cities. All cities. <laughs> and out went them and came together unto him. So he gets in his boat with his disciples and they go across the sea, across the lake. The people saw him get into the boat and they're like, we know where he's going. That, that boat's headed that way. So they ran. <laughs> you guys have any big lakes around here? I don't know the area very much. You got some big lakes. What's a big lake around here? Lake Houston. Lake Houston, okay. Well, I, okay, there you go. <laughs> lake Houston, right? Can you imagine... I don't know how big Lake Houston is, but probably pretty big. Can you imagine seeing somebody get on a boat to go that way and being so hungry for Jesus that you get all your people together? Maybe you hop on a horse or a donkey or in a cart. Maybe you run. I don't know how, but somehow you outwent him and ended up at the other side of the lake before he got off the ship. Talk about hunger. Talk about passion. Talk about being so hungry for Jesus and so hungry for change and a shift in your life that you will outpace and get over to the other side and outrun a boat across the lake. Come on. Some people, I, I can, see, I don't know a whole lot about this church, so I can say this, and, and you don't even have to think I'm talking about you because I don't know you. <laughs> Some people think they're doing God a favor when they show up to church twice a month. Some people think that if they show up once in a while, they're doing God a favor and they can check that off the, off the list and the things are going really crazy in their life and they think that they can just call pastor and pray for me and they can just, you know, show up and get the miracle from God and go live how they want to live the next six months. Now, I'm, I, there is nobody that preaches, I shouldn't say this, this that would almost sound self-serving, but there's nobody that appreciates the grace of God more than I do. The grace of God, by the way, is not the mercy of God. Okay, grace and mercy are two different things. We've allowed insurance companies to define the Bible by telling us things about like grace periods on our insurance policy, right? That's not a grace period, that's a mercy period. If you knew your Bible, that's a mercy period. If you don't pay your premium, you got 15 days of mercy to come back and catch up. A grace period would be, if I owed the insurance company on April 1st, if the insurance company sent me a check on March 30th, to be able to turn around and pay them what I owed them the next day. That's biblical grace, where it's prepaid, and he gives you everything that you need to step into everything you're called to do. That's so good. <laughs> but we let, you know, 
all these Allstate and all these companies define for us what the Bible means, and we just don't even have a clue. That's why people can't walk in grace, because they think that grace is just for their mess-ups. The mercy of God is when you don't get what you did deserve. The grace of God is when you do get what you didn't deserve. Come on now. And so we live by the grace of God. And Romans 4.16 says that it's of faith, by, of faith that it might be by grace. In other words, the grace of God, Titus 2.11 says, has appeared to all men. Right? God's not willing that anybody should perish, yet they do because they don't step out in faith and appropriate the grace of God that's right there. It's all just like turning the spigot on or turning the light switch on. And people don't want to step out and do that. Fear gets involved. Condemnation gets involved. They have what Hebrews calls an evil conscience. Evil conscience is when you try to make your way prosperous and you, you try um, a, a righteousness by works, which no, no you know, mature Christian would ever think that they do that. But here's the bottom line. The first time you mess up and a little condemnation comes in, do you run from God or do you run to God? Do you immediately say, no, Satan, you have no place in my life? When Jesus said, the enemy comes and he finds nothing in me, are you bold enough to stand up and say the same thing? Come on. Yes. Wow. <clears throat> because it's not just him attacking you and showing up in the middle of, your, of the night at the foot of your bed and he says, I got cancer and I'm going to kill you. No, that's not how the enemy works most of the time. The enemy works by trying to get into a place where you question who you are in Christ. And if he can question your identity, and we see this all the time, identity is the number one most crucial thing that we must know and understand. I learned that a long time ago. When I was, uh, man, I I got uh, 17 books by E.W. Kenyon when I was probably 21 years old. I'm 45 now, 24 years ago. And I devoured those things. And I learned right away that anytime I saw in the Word of God the words in Him, in Christ, with Him, or with Christ, I just highlighted I went through my Bible, highlighted them. I thought, this is me. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me, the hope of glory. I'm with Him. I've been buried with Him. I've been raised with Him. Now I'm seated with Him. Glory be to God. Just go through it and find out your identity. Because we've got a world that is lacking in even understanding who they are. Now, I'm going to say something here. I'm going to just pretend this is my church for a minute, okay? And I'm just going to be at home. Is that okay? We've got people with three and four and five degrees that are too smart for their own good and don't know what bathroom to walk into. Because the enemy is attacking people at their core, who they are. They don't even know their identity. Forget understanding if they're in Christ or not. Forget, for just a moment, just forget all the things that, we're, that we've been raised with him. And he, he's at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 1 says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name this name, not only in this world, but that which is to come. And a few paragraphs later, a few, a few chapters later, he says, you're not warring against flesh and blood. You're fighting. Your fight is not against people. Your fight is against all the things he just named in the first chapter, Right? What do we war against? Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places or heavenly realms or spheres of influence. Your fight is there and you've been seated above that with Christ and in Christ the whole time and most people don't even know it. And so how are we as an individual, so I'm speaking to individuals here, I'm speaking to households here. There are some family units here, right? Wife, husband, wife, children. Um, then there is a corporate body. Inside the corporate body, there's, there's, other, there's the children's ministry and the youth ministry and the men's and the women's and all these things. There are so many things going on, but how can we ever get to a place where we are corporately doing what God has called us to do if we don't even know who we are? Good work. 
How can we get to a place where we can step into the fullness? I'm talking about the fullness. <laughs> and the, that, the fullness, that's a full word. Fullness is a full word. That represents everything. And God ordained that we would walk in this fullness from the beginning of time. Let me, let me, let me get back to John chapter 6 here. So John chapter 6, the same telling, or excuse me, the same story, different telling. John is clearly telling this. <clears throat> and uh, actually, thank you, Jesus. You, you guys can stay in John 6. Um, I, I, I wanted to read one more verse here in Mark 6, okay? So they outwent them, right? Lord, just lay this on my heart. Verse 34, so they, verse 33, they outwent him and ended up at the other side of the lake before Jesus and the disciples. Now, verse 34, and Jesus, when he came out, so Jesus, the ship docks, and Jesus steps out of the ship. I want, you, I want you to see this now. I want you to receive this. When he came out, he saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And watch this. He began to teach them many things. Why? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God, which really most of the Latin, uh, the Latin, Tellings are the word of Christos that in Romans chapter 10, it says, it's Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ, really. And that the whole chapter backs that up. The whole chapter is about Jesus, every, every verse in that, uh, in that chapter leading up to that. Um, so he had to teach them, right? Because people won't be able to receive what they don't know about. People won't, they won't reach out and receive something that they can't, uh, that they can't see themselves walking into. And they certainly won't take something that they don't know anything about. Yeah. Right? right? Now, our job back in John chapter, John chapter 6, verse 1, now this is the same exact thing. So they had just left on vacation now, right? Okay? And you can check me out. Go talk to your pastors. This new guy from Ohio, is he sure that this is the same thing? Go talk to your pastors afterwards. They'll, they'll tell you that it is. So Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is called the Sea of uh, Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him. We just found out that they outwent him. And why, why did they do that? Because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, and, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company, he said to Philip, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, you can find out in Mark chapter 6 that this has happened. You have pieced these puzzle pieces together. This happened after he taught them all day long. Right. All day long. He sat there because, why? Because he had compassion on them. And that just ties back into what happened with me. As soon as I got in the hotel room yesterday, a, a load of compassion just washed over me for this city. And, uh, and I hadn't been here about six hours. The plane had been on the ground. And my question for you is, and this is not to lead to condemnation, because of everything I just said, if you knew anything about me, I am as anti-condemnation as it could possibly be. So this isn't about condemnation, but this is about sometimes people need to check up from the neck up. Amen. Sometimes people need to think about what they're thinking about. So if, I, if, if, if compassion, me being in this city for six hours washed over me, when's the last time you who live here had compassion for your city? Again, it's not condemnation. This is what the life in Christ is supposed to be about. Because if he said, the works that I do, you'll do, and greater works than these, then you're not only called to lay hands on the sick, but when you see people in your household, in your home, at the Thanksgiving dinner table that don't understand what's going on, you be moved with compassion and sit down and teach them. 
but you don't do it over political lines and you don't do it over, over these things that cause hatred and division. The enemy comes, he'll divide over anything. He'll divide over male and female, labor management, uh, you know, young and old. He'll get you divided over everything you could possibly think about, Republican, Democrat. But the main thing is it's all, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is light and darkness. Jesus is not president. Jesus is a king. Come on, somebody. And we are called to be, we are kings. Book of Revelation talks about we are kings and priests. So Jesus is the king of kings. That doesn't just mean the king of Saudi Arabia and the king of all these countries. No, you are a king. He is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Lords have ownership rights. If you know anything about medieval times, lords owned things. They had property. They knew what they were doing. They, they, they ran things in their region and where they had been given dominion. Are these things coming together? Right? Are these guys, the pieces coming together? Right? The, a kingdom is where the king has dominion. It's the king's domain. It's where the king says what's going to happen, and what he says happens is what happens. <clears throat> and the very first thing God did to, to Adam in the Garden of Eden, Eden in Genesis chapter 1 is he gave him a kingdom. We don't think of it that way, but he says, be fruitful, multiply, <clears throat> and have dominion. That's a kingdom. He gave him a kingdom. He took what was in heaven and, ha and wanted him to reproduce it in the earth. And that's why Jesus, who was called the last Adam, see, Jesus didn't mess that up like Adam did. Adam, first little thing he saw that was, looked good to the eye, looked pleasing to eat, he went and ate with his wife with, with him, with her. Satan came to Jesus and tried to get him to do the same thing. Command that rock to be made of bread. For, same temptation, very first temptation, tried to get at his stomach. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, what was he doing in that moment? He was reversing, at the beginning, reversing what happened, that first temptation of Adam. Because what, what was that temptation about? Adam went and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted to know what was good, know what was evil, know what was right, know what was wrong. How many of you have ever tried to make a decision and you write your, make your list and you put a line down the middle, all the pros, all the cons, you're going to that wrong tree. It's okay to look at those things and it's okay to understand the scenario, but if you're not going to God and say, what should I do about this? Then you're making the same mistake Adam made at the very beginning. And you're justifying it because you think you need to know all the answers. <laughs> you're not called to know all the answers. You're called to know the Lord Jesus, and you're not called to know whose I am and whom I serve and what I'm called to step into. Glory be to God. That's why Jesus is called the last Adam, because the first Adam dropped the ball. He wanted to know all those things. Jesus said, nah, not me. He said, I only do the things my Father tells me to do. I only say the things my Father tells me to say. In fact, if you've seen me, you've seen him. <laughs> now that is a way that we're called to live. And when we step into that atmosphere and we step into that area and that realm of operation, man, the enemy, we can talk like Jesus did and say the enemy comes and he finds nothing in me because when you look at me, you're looking at my father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, come on, just give God praise for me. Just thank him. Come on, just thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for revelation knowledge. Thank you, Jesus, that we can step into everything that you've called us to step into. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so 
I want, let's, let's go on now because we're talking about knowing the end of, from the beginning, the end of our faith, right? Let's get on down to verse five. When Jesus lift up his eyes, he said, when shall, uh, he told Philip, or excuse me, he told the, everybody, he said, uh, uh, he said, he, well, he, I guess he said to Philip, excuse me, where, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, I want the verse six is one of the key verses of this entire time together. I want you to see the words and I want you to let them pierce your heart this morning. And this he said to prove him, watch this, for he himself, Jesus, knew what he would do. I'm going to read that one more time. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And I've got good news for you this morning. Like we read earlier, God declares the end of a thing and the result of a thing from the beginning. Jesus lived like his father when he walked as a representation with the people. Here's 5,000 men. Uh, you know, we've, we've been told and, and we can understand from Matthew's rendering that it says besides women and children, right? So you put these pieces together. There were probably somewhere between 15, 20,000 people there on that hillside. And Jesus fed the multitude. Why? Because he had loaded bread and loaded fish. He put into operation the very beginning principles. He blessed it and break it and gave it. We'll say that again. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. That bread had to multiply. Because in the very beginning, what did, you, what did I, I just quoted Genesis 1:28. God blessed Adam and said, be fruitful, multiply. The blessing of God without any hindrance, without any part of the mammon system tainting it or containing it in any way, the blessing of God will multiply. When he blessed that bread, it had to multiply. Now, this is Jesus. There was no iniquity in that whole thing. So here's the thing. When we, if, if we can get to the point where we can renew our mind, because so many people think that this is just a spiritual battle, and maybe it is, but sometimes you don't need deliverance. Sometimes you just need to make a good decision. And the pastors in the room said, amen. Because here's the thing, some of, as a pastor, I've had people, why, why is the enemy attacking me? Why is this? Because you're just making stupid decisions that you've done for the last 20 years. And if you're going to keep doing the same thing and expect to get something wrong, you're sowing the same seed, expecting a different harvest. And we got a special, you know, place that we put people like that with a white, little white jacket and tie them up and stuff. I mean, that's just, that's like an insanity thing, man. You can't, how could you, can you imagine in the natural sowing corn seed into a field? and getting corn and be like, doggone it, I wanted beans. Next year you sow corn again. And at the end of the harvest, you're like, doggone it, man, beans. I want corn. So next, next year you give up, get up, and you sow corn seed again. That's like what we do in life. We're sowing the same seed all the time and expecting a different harvest, and it doesn't work that way. I love you, I came a long way to tell you that I love you enough to tell you, you gotta stop that. 
You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. And so you've got to just crucify that flesh. That flesh is nothing. Are you kidding me? But when you understand that the spirit man is the head and all of a sudden you've got your mind, your will, and your emotions that make up the soul of man and you're called to renew your mind. So there's the mental part. You renew the mind. You, you allow his desires to become your desires. That's your will. And then your emotions are, you understand from the, you, if some of you need to understand this, I'm sure I'm not the first person to tell you, but God gave you emotions to have. He didn't give you emotions to have you. So don't make emotional decisions. Don't allow the enemy to get in there in the, in the midnight hour when you're feeling sorry for yourself and you make the same decision to not stand up to the person and put up a boundary in your life where that person is trying to get into your life to cause wreak, wreak havoc and destruction in your life. You say, no, you're not going to do that anymore in my life. I'm making a stand because this is holy ground and this is my life and I'm going to live my life exactly how God's called me to live my life. Hallelujah. I'm sure glad I came today. Glory to God. Preach myself happy. But now here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus knew what he would do, but how many of us know what he will do? Come on now. And this is where I'm going because I've titled this the end of faith. The end of my faith because you've got to understand that like God, Adam lived like God. He was, he was, a, he was, uh, David was a man after God's own heart, but Adam, or excuse me, Adam, I said Adam, Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness, back when his name was uh, Abram, right? Genesis 15, 6. He believed God. He believed what God said about him and his destiny. And he stepped into living in a place and living in a way that he could walk that out, right? Now, if in the old covenant he could do that simply by faith, how much more that we've now been made the righteousness of God in Christ, that Jesus died for us. How much more can we step into the place where we can gain understanding and wisdom about what God's calling us to do, be led by the Spirit, pray in the Holy Ghost. Those of you that if you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost, you can be this morning. And you pray in the Holy Ghost. You build up yourself on your most holy faith. And you find out the things and the, and the, the secret, the hidden things of God. They're not hidden from you. They're hidden for you. Glory be to God. Psalm 91 says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. A lot of rabbis will say it's not the secret place because that makes it seem like it's in the Lord of the Rings somewhere. It's kind of out, you know, under a hobbit's tree or something like that, buried in a secret place. No, it, they'll, they'll tell you, the Jewish rabbis will say, it's not really a secret place, it's the place of secrets. And he that dwells and lives and continually abides in the place of secrets, you get to commune with your father and you get to know his plan for your life and you can know how he's called you to walk and you can know how he's called you to talk and you can step into things that other people couldn't dream of. And when you do it, they're going to look at you and say, how did Anthony do that? I knew how he was, you know, 25 years ago. And you can say, no, let me testify about something. I'm not who you, who you knew. I, that man is dead. I stand before you here alive in Christ Jesus. And I represent a kingdom that if you don't know anything about, let me introduce you to it because you have a heavenly father that has compassion and loves you just as much. Thank you, Jesus. So we need to know what he knows. God knows what he wants for your life. Jesus, we just read, he knew what he would do. And I promise you, if, if and I, I, every single word in this book is truth, truth, truth. And so if Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, he's still the same today. He still knows what he wants to do. And he still has compassion on you to see it through in the name of Jesus. 
But we've got to understand a little bit about faith. I grew up, I don't have time because I'm really trying to fit a four-night series into one hour for you guys today, if you haven't been able to tell. But uh, I don't have time to go through my whole story. My mom, uh, I'll give you a two-minute version. My mom was in the second graduating class of Oral Roberts University. She was a music education major. She was in Timco Barton practicing organ one day, and a man named Vep Ellis walks in who was the uh, kind of a crusade director and like the music minister really for... Um, for the Tent Crusades back in the day, and he heard her playing, and he said, uh, there was a man named Larry Dalton, who was just a marvelous, tremendous piano player, was a friend of my mom's. He was also a music uh, major at the time there, and uh, he said, I want you to, to my mom, he said, we want you to come on the, on the crusade field, and every other uh, month, uh, Larry Dalton would take a month and do crusades, my mom would take the next month and do crusades, travel with Brother, uh, brother Roberts, uh, Roberts got to know, uh, Brother Copeland was flying the plane then, and uh, so we... You know, we have some relationship with some of these people. So I literally cut my teeth on faith. Cut my teeth on faith. I thank God for it. But, but we've got to be wise enough to understand that there are ditches. Let me just be very real with you. There are ditches. <clears throat> You're not called to have faith in your faith, for example. There are some cliche things that came out of the faith movement that really put the onus on you and make you feel condemnation if you don't do it right, if you don't get the result that you think somebody else has, uh, got or somebody else, condemnation can set in. And I just want to tell you today, this is not a teaching on faith necessarily, although everything I'm saying hopefully is building your faith, but I want to say this, faith has never been about getting God to move. That's, that's one thing that I heard from the very beginning, faith moves God. No, no, faith, God's not stuck in the mud. He doesn't need you to move him. God's always moving. He's always ever present. Faith doesn't move God. Faith moves you into a position where you can receive everything he's doing. You understand what I'm saying? I say this with all reverence and all respect. I wouldn't, I wouldn't speak ill of any, any man of God that I've ever heard preach. Even if I didn't agree with him, I still wouldn't speak ill will of him because I'm not going to touch the anointed. I'm not going to do prophets any harm. That's not what I'm here to do. What I'm here to do is tell you and just lovingly reassure you that faith is based on promises. Faith is always based on promises. It's always been based on promises. Why, was, why is Abraham the father of, of faith? He's the father of faith, right? Because he heard promises and he believed God. What did he believe? He believed the promise. He believed what the word said and it was counted to him or accounted to him as righteousness. What I like to say, it's kind of a crude example. It's, I really can't, I've never come up with a better one. So this is what I'll use. I'll say this, he had like a credit card salvation. God counted him as righteous before Jesus came. So then later on, 430 years later, the law was added. And so when the law was added, they had the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, Kippur means to cover. So uh, Yom Kippur would come along and uh, the, that priest would slay that animal and the, the sin of man would be covered for a year and God would treat them as if they hadn't sinned even though they were a stiff-necked people. Come on, somebody, you know, you know all this. You're walking through the Bible, you're reading Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You know this. Even though they were stiff-necked and they deserved all, everything that God wanted to do. One time he came to Moses. I don't know if you've read this yet in your walkthrough. He came to Moses one time and said, I'm going to destroy all of them and I'm going to make a nation out of you greater than them. He said, I'm just done with that. And, and Moses, you know, reasoned with God. He said, well, if you do that, then all the people that saw you bring him out, they're going to say, you just brought him out here in the desert to die. Uh, the God of the earth would not do that. You have compassion on them. So God kept moving forward in compassion. Well, year after year after year after year after year, that happened until the lamb came on the scene. And the lamb, we, we, we uh, remembered that this morning by receiving communion. 
when the precious Lamb of God, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, when He came on the scene, there was no more credit card salvation. All of a sudden, it was a done deal. The book of Hebrews uh, chapter 10 says that, you know, if these other sacrifices would have worked, there should have been no more remembrance of sin. But this Jesus, when he had made one sacrifice for sin, sat down at the right hand of the Father, waiting and expecting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Amen. <laughs> so what is he waiting on? If it's, if it's a done deal, what's he waiting on? He's waiting on you to take your place. He's waiting on you to step up to the plate and say, I believe everything that I've just heard. Why? Because faith is based on promises. First time I went to Africa, I was in Uganda. I was in Jinja, Uganda, and uh, I was doing a minister's conference. They had invited me there. And the very first day, we got off the plane, and we were there for eight days. But the very first day was all day Saturday, and uh, just privileged and honored to minister to about, um, to about 400 ministers. Well, the very, that was on a Saturday. The next Sunday morning, it was jam-packed two services in this church we were in, and uh, it was a long, skinny church. And uh, I'll never forget this because there was one white family in the whole place. And, uh, and, and it was a, they were a missionary couple that were there from Australia. Later, uh, became friends with them. But as I was walking, it's a long, skinny, kind of like a shotgun thing, about as wide, wider than this section, just a little bit, but long. And about 350 people could sit in there. And there were all these rows, these sections. So as I walked, I'll come back up here, here later for lights. But anyway, as I walked, I was just walking and I was preaching. Normally, I like to preach right here, right? So, but I walked back and there were sections. The camera guys are going to get real upset with me now. But there were sections, and I would come back here, and there was this one family from Australia. The lady, about the third time I walked back there, her eyes got big. I noticed it. I noticed it, Pastor Jack. It was so, it was so, um, it, it, was, it meant so much to me, like it stood out so much. She was like almost scared, almost, but startled is a better word. She was startled. And she, like this. And she would look at my feet, and she would look me up and down. Every time I'd walk down that aisle, her husband sat on the aisle about halfway back, and she was right next to him. And uh, every time it happened, she just, and, um, and about the third time, I was like, man, something's up. Well, I turned around, and, uh, well, let me just turn to John, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 10. I'll read the verse of Scripture that I opened up to next. Romans chapter 10. All right. Verse 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This whole chapter, this whole letter is about Jesus. Specifically, this whole chapter is he just came out from saying, you know, uh, he said in verse, for example, uh, the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, right? So, right? so righteousness has a voice. I've heard people say before that faith has a voice, but that's not what this verse is saying. It doesn't say faith has a voice. It says righteousness. Could you please put uh, verse, uh, verse 7, uh, actually verse 6 on the screen. Look at this. The righteousness, which is of faith, speaks on this wise. So I've heard people say, listen, faith has a voice. Well, really, it's talking about righteousness. Righteousness has a voice. But righteousness, which comes by faith, will speak things that an unrighteous mindset, somebody that has condemnation flooding their lives, a person that walks in condemnation will not be able to say those things. But righteousness has a voice. Righteousness knows what belongs to it. Righteousness will stand up in the face of all adversity. All the, uh, the enemy of hell and all of his demon forces could be right there stacked against you. And righteousness could stand there and say, nah, not in my house and not in my life. Because I have a right to these things that God's called me to walk in, right? And um, so all this is talking about Jesus, uh, you know, uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, all those things, all the way down to verse 13. Now watch this. But verse 14 says this. And remember, I was in Uganda, Jinja. Pacing these aisles, preaching this word. 
and said, uh, for, uh, verse 14, how then shall they call on him who they haven't believed? So you got to, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but you can't call on him unless you believe in him. And it says, and how shall they believe on whom they haven't heard about? So you got to call on him to be saved, but you can't call on him unless you believed and you can't believe until you've heard about him. And how shall they hear without a preacher? So whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but they can't call on him if they haven't believed in him. They can't believe if they haven't heard and they can't hear without a preacher. I'm going somewhere. I'm not just talking about myself. I think he understands right where I'm going with this. I'm not talking about myself. I'm not just talking about a preacher because I have a microphone on. Every single one of us, you go read Mark 16 for yourself. We are called, the believer is called to be a preacher. You're called to preach. You're called to, you're called to know this word and you're called to share this. Now watch this. Verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And right about that time, as soon as I said it, a calm came over her face, and then she came up to me after church, and she said, that verse of scripture you read, she said, she kept looking me up and down, and she said, I don't know if you could notice, I said, yeah, that's why I came to talk to you. I said, what, what was going on? What did you see? Because I knew, I knew by inspiration of the Holy Ghost that she saw something. And she said, every time you walked back down, your feet got brighter and brighter. Wow. Every time you walked down the aisle. And she said, that last time you walked down the aisle, she said, I leaned to my husband. And she said these words while I was preaching. She said, honey, those are the most beautiful feet I've ever seen. Wow. <laughs> I had shoes on. I wasn't preaching, I wasn't preaching barefoot. Okay? I, I had shoes on. Those words came out of her mouth by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and I read this verse about three seconds later. And it was a confirmation for her on some things, because they were called, they were sent there to preach. But now here's the thing. Preachers, now according to this verse, now don't throw tomatoes at me, you know, just yet. According to this verse, it says, how beautiful are the feet of them, let's see, uh, how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach what? Glad tidings of good news, yes, but also, first of all, the gospel of peace. Jesus uh, is the fulfillment of a lot of things. In the book of Isaiah, it talks about God promises a covenant of peace. He said, as the waters of Noah will no longer come over the earth, not, never again will I be wroth or angry with you, and he won't violate this covenant of peace. He calls it a covenant of peace. You can go look this up. But now, those that preach a covenant of peace, according to this verse of Scripture, are the ones who are sent. So he proves scripturally that we have a barometer to know the preachers that are sent and the preachers of their own accord that just went. Come on. That's good work. That's good. So some of you might be wondering, I've watched this man on live stream. I know this man's heart. This man's been sent. This man preaches the gospel of peace. This man preaches new covenant righteous realities. I don't know every other pastor in this area. I don't know this city. I don't know any, much about it. All I know is you better be cautious that you don't allow the enemy to pull you in to angry preachers, to an, a place where, where people are always trying to prove a point and trying to, trying to get you, you know, to build their kingdom. Because there's a dividing line that's happening, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm kind of rounding third base for those of you keeping score here. I'm, I'm not quite done, but I'm getting close. Some of you guys are like, how long is he going to preach? I don't even know what time it is, so that's fine. I'm just be led by the Spirit, okay? But here's the thing. 
You need to understand that there's a call on your life to be connected with a ministry that is running the righteous race, the race of the righteousness of God in Christ. I didn't come here. I've got no assignment from him. I just really met uh, uh, Pastor Jack Sr. this morning. I've got no mandate from these guys. These guys didn't hire me to come in here and tell you something. I'm here by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. In fact, when I got off the plane, we were in the car leaving the airport, that little strip that went off in the airport, and we started talking about some things. And I told him, I said, after church tomorrow, I'd like to talk about a lot of things. I said, but, I said, if you don't mind, I don't want to know anything about your church. First thing I said, that's just, just so you know, you don't know me. So just so you know my integrity. I don't want to know anything that's going on here. I'm not called to do that. I'm called to bring a word from Christ Jesus this morning to empower you and to uh, encourage you to keep running this race. Now I'm going to kind of transition toward, uh, toward kind of a, a place to land. But here's the thing. Because there's some other things. I, I just believe that you know, there's a little time of impartation. We're going to experience heaven this morning. We already are, amen. From first, from I, before worship, I walked in here and started praying in the Holy Ghost. That pre-service prayer is powerful. You need to be here if you weren't. Uh, again, no condemnation, but that's corporate. That's corporate prayer, amen. Um, so the Apostle Paul, thank you, Jesus. Help me, help me connect this to the end. Thank you, Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26 said this. He said, testifying in front of King Agrippa, he said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He had just shared about three or four verses, red letters there in Acts chapter 26, of what Jesus called him to do. Part of that was to, uh, you know, be a witness of the things which you have both seen and of the which I will appear to you. So there's some things that God, the Lord Jesus himself, the head of the church, called Paul out of this lifestyle of killing Christians into a place where he was going to be one of the chief apostles in the entire history of the church. And... uh, and he's testifying in the very next verse, after those red letters, he said, wherefore, King, as a matter of fact, go ahead and put on the screen, I think it's, it's Acts chapter 26, I think it's verse 19. Is it verse 19? All right, let's see here. Acts 26, praise God, I want to read it. He said, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I just want to tell you something this morning, there's a difference between a vision and a goal. There's a difference between a vision and a goal. A vision is a gift from God and all the resources to see the vision through to completion, also known as provision. All the resources and all the provision you need to see the vision through is right there embedded in the vision. A goal, a goal is something that you set for yourself. I'm not anti-goals. In fact, I'd like to personally uh, write some things down and keep myself on track. But here's the thing. Don't be goal-oriented as much as you are vision-oriented. I'm going to say it one more time. Don't be more goal-oriented than you are vision-oriented. Because something happens Sometimes we miss a goal or we miss a time frame, and, and if we're not hearing from heaven, not, not one of us in the room, um, maybe Pastor Jack Sr., but other than that, or, and, and maybe, I don't know, uh, I haven't been able to meet you. It's nice to meet you. All right, bless you. <laughs> Mary Jean, nice, nice to meet you. They, they may have never missed it before, but I, I know the rest of us in the room, I know Pastor Jack and I, we've missed it before. There's not one of us, in all seriousness, there's not one of us who has heard 
exactly explicitly from the Lord right on everything. And so what we do is we take the vision and we begin to put our mammon time frame on it. And sometimes it revolves around January 1st is coming up. So there's a new year starting or this. And so we, we try to cram kingdom vision things into a time frame. We try to put, and what we do is we put limits on God and then we end up becoming to a certain extent our own God. Because we say, okay, God, I thank you for the vision to do that. Now I'm going to tell you how I'm going to do it. And that's going to the wrong tree. It's going to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's why Jesus is called the last Adam. He never did that. And we're not in Adam, we're in Christ. And so our calling is to walk out this vision that God has given us and not be so um, absurdly, you know, arrogant about it that we think we know how to do it. There are some of you that have things that you've been uh, believing for and praying for. Can I minister to you for a minute? The two of you. Thank you, Jesus. You have children? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just stand right here. Hallelujah. As I got, I, I, this is uh, directed at everybody in the room, but as I got ready, ready to say what I was going to say, I'll finish that sentence here, that there are things that have been placed into your life, and there is vision that's been placed into your life, and this goes for everybody. There's no uh, word of scripture that's, that's scriptural, that's of private interpretation, right? But specifically, where your kids are, it just rose up on the inside of me that there are seed that's in your kids, that the harvest is going to be greater and mightier than you can possibly fathom. There's seed in your kids, and I don't know where they are. They may be in the building There's today. One, one, one of them's here. You have how many? Three. Okay. The word of the God, the word of God, the seed of the word of God has been planted into each of their lives. Are they married? Do they have families one. of their own? One of them's married? Okay. All right. Generations to come, mark it down right now. Generations to come will reap the harvest of seed that's been planted because of you, because of this church. Amen. And there's going to be a massive kingdom hall of what you've been praying into their lives. Both of you have seen things and you've seen into their lives. And I don't know if I'm, maybe it's the one that's here and maybe it's the two that's not here. I don't know. I'm stepping, I, again, I don't know anything, but maybe they've been too stubborn to see it for themselves. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if it's just, I don't have any details of that, but I'm just telling you that the massive haul to not give up and actually to look up for the fields are white with harvest now. And the Lord will tell you what to speak into their life and how to administer that to them in the name of Jesus every step of the way. I'm just going to seal it right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 You're not just worship leaders, by the way. Take limitations off your life and take those, take those, uh, I don't know if you have business cards that say worship leader or whatever, but uh, lose the titles. Lose the titles. That goes for everybody else here. I don't know what your job description is. I see people with badges. That's awesome, man. I see people wearing media shirts. Take the limits off. Be honorable in what you're called to do. Be integrous. Show up. Man your post. Do what you're called to do. But don't put your identity in a badge or on a, a you know, some kind of name card. Amen. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. And there may be uh, some more of that. I believe that there is some more of that ministry time here in just a moment. But I got to be, I got to be honorable and finish this. What the Lord has laid on my heart. Because the Lord gave me a metaphor for your church. <clears throat> and this is, this right here, what I'm about to say is predominantly why I didn't want to know anything about the church. The Lord dropped into my spirit when we hung up the phone. And, and, and I, I, usually, I usually don't preach 
like um, a series on Jericho, right? I usually don't preach a metaphor and then I usually just preach the new covenant, kind of like I've been doing all day today. I usually just preach that. But the Lord gave me a specific picture between uh, Moses and Joshua that I believe applies to this church. And uh, all I know is that you, uh, you, you pastored the church, and I, right now I'm just going to learn a couple things, but I, you said, the only thing I know is you pastored for 30-something 30, 30 years, right? Glory be to God. Wow. Wow. I'm at 13 years right now, so I know how long 13 years has been, so <laughs> praise God, bless God. And uh, you, 2019, is that what you said? 20? 2019. Okay. Um, so that's all I know is that there was some kind of a transition, there was a passing of the baton or things like that. That's all I know. And I don't know if there was an actual literal passing of the baton. I just know that there was, that was there? You guys. Oh, okay. Dr. Savell came, Brother Jerry came. Okay, uh, awesome. Again, I don't know anything about this, but here's what, here's what the Lord led me to. And I'm gonna take you through a series of like four verses in the Old Testament. I'm gonna read them quickly. I'm not gonna teach on these. I wanna read them so we can see the progression. So turn to Genesis chapter one. Genesis. Yes, Lord. Uh, you don't have to turn here, but turn to, uh, I gotta share this. Psalm chapter 127, will you put that on the screen please? You guys don't have to turn there, write it down in your notes if you're taking notes. Psalm 127, this is the one thing that the Lord instructed me this morning as I was getting ready to share this verse coming out of what I, uh, what I shared about vision and goal, the difference in vision and goals. So Psalm 127 verse one says this, it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. I'll just read verse two. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Please leave verse two up on the screen for just a minute. It is vanity. This is a biblical definition of vanity right here. And many of us do it all the time and practice it and try to get good at it. He says, it's vain for you to rise up early to, or to sit up late and eat the bread of sorrows. Now, it's in context to verse 1. He said, except the Lord build the city, we're laboring in vain to build it. Except he is the one building this. Yes. We're laboring in vain, ladies and gentlemen. Except the Lord keep it. The, the watchman wakes in vain in the middle of the night to go on his shift. If he thinks it's his job to maintain what has been started being built, there's vanity written all over that. And then verse 2 kind of turns the page a little bit and explains why. He said, it is vain to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. The New American Standard and the Amplified both do a much better job uh, of translating the Hebrew. It's not just giving, maybe moms, you've prayed this over your kids. He gives his beloved sleep and as if he makes us to sleep, right? You know, but the Amplified says this, I'll read it here. The Amplified says, for he gives blessings to his beloved in sleep. The New American Standard says, for he gives his beloved in their sleep, right? So here's the thing. It is vanity for you to get up early in the morning and try and figure out how you're going to wow that job promotion. 
It is vanity for you to stay up late and try and figure it all out. You can go to sleep and receive from the Lord in your sleep a heavenly vision and a dream and an assignment to step into, and you can get more out of one moment of vision from the Lord than you can of 150 nights in a row staying up late trying to figure out how to make your way prosperous. What did we see in Genesis chapter 1? Time after time after time. Go read it for yourself. And he, uh, day one, right? God said, light be, light was. And it says this, these words in the King James, and the evening and the morning were one day, day one. A few verses later, and the evening and the morning were day two, the second day. For a couple of verses later, and the evening and the morning was the third day, right? So in the kingdom, in the spirit realm, the day always starts. If you're taking notes, if you don't write anything else down, write this down. In the spirit, in the kingdom, the day always starts with rest and a dream. Rest and a dream. And so much so, oh my goodness, this is the coolest thing ever. This is the coolest thing ever. So much so that we go all the way through day one, right? Light be, light was. And that wasn't the sun, right? That wasn't sunlight. Sun didn't come along until day four, sun, moon, and stars. So what was light? That was himself. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. He literally spoke himself, his revelation light into this earth's atmosphere because without anything else, or excuse me, without that light, nothing else could come into being. One time he told me, I shared this at a minister's conference one time, but one time the Lord instructed me to read Genesis every day, all seven days backwards. Read day seven, then I read day six, and then I went up a couple verses, I read day five, then I went up and read day four, and the Lord had me do it. I got done, I said, what are you trying to show me, Lord? He said, read it again. I promise you, I'm not trying to make this a long story, I promise you that happened at least six or seven times. And finally he told me, he said, there's not anything that was created that I did not previously supply the provision the day before. He didn't create a cow without grass to feed him. He didn't. You just go back and read it for yourself. I don't have time to preach this right now. I'm just telling you that God has provided for you in advance. You've never had a problem that he didn't have the answer for thousands of years ago. You've never had a question that he hasn't had the answer for thousands of years ago. If you'll just step up and believe by faith and receive the answer before the foundation of the world that's right there in Christ, when you do that, everything else will shift. Everything else will change. Mm. So let me read these verses. Now that I've been obedient, I promise this is, this is the home stretch. I'm about to slide into home right now, okay? I promise you. Genesis chapter 15. <clears throat> Again, I'll, 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 I won't even, I'm going to give you a series of verses. I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm, I promise you, I'm just going to give you a framework. Write these down and please go read them for yourself. Go study them later. But the first one is Genesis 15 verses 13 through 21. And I'm not going to read all those verses like I said, but I will say this. I want to give you a picture. He said to Abram, no, remember, faith is based on promises, right? Faith is based on promises. He said to Abram, know of a surety, your seed will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. They'll serve them. They will afflict them 400 years. And then that nation whom they shall serve, I'll judge them. Afterward, they'll come out with great substance. You guys know about the great exodus out of Egypt. But then it goes on down and it says this, uh, verse 18, in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying unto thy seed have I given this land from the river Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And it goes in and talks about all the other Kenites, Kenizzites, uh, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaim, uh, uh, Rephaims, Amorites, Canaanites, right, Girgashites. I want you to know that this covenant, we've a little bit misrepresented this covenant. We think that this covenant was between God and Abram. 
and the new covenant is between God and Jesus. But I want to point something out about this first covenant really quickly, if you will, uh, if you'll allow me the time, and that's this. Galatians chapter 3, I want to show you something about the first covenant. Galatians 3, 17 says, and I say this, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ. The law, which was 430 years after, can't disannul or make the promise of none effect. Now, I want you to see this. That covenant that happened between God, we just think it was between God and, and, and uh, I like to say Abraham, Abram, Abraham. That covenant was confirmed before of God in Christ. So here's the thing. Jesus didn't just show up in Matthew 1. This, co- <coughs> excuse me. this covenant, was, Jesus was at the center of this entire thing from the beginning. When, Jesus, when God told that serpent, the seed of this woman will bruise your head. From that moment on, the dominoes were fallen. And God prophesied every single book of the Old Testament was about Jesus. And he confirmed the covenant before of God in Christ. That covenant was confirmed in Christ. Abraham believed it. In fact, Abraham believed it so much. Hebrews 11 says he walked around as a sojourner. God said, every place you put your foot, I'm giving it to you. Yet he walked around as a sojourner. Why? Because it says he was looking for a city not made without hands. I believe that Abraham learned of God and heard the promises. And I really truly believe that he thought, Wow, any time now this can happen. Now, God told him 400 years there was going to be affliction, so he knew there was going to be some time. But he was more concerned about his heavenly eternal home than he was about this land that God was giving him. We get more concerned about this land that God has given us. And we take the eternal, the eternal nature of who we've been created to be out of the picture. And we live from day to day to day without an eternal mindset. I got to finish this. Okay, so uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 3. And I'm going to read uh, a couple verses starting verse 23. <clears throat> verse 23 says, uh, this is Moses talking, I besought the Lord at that time saying, O Lord, God, thou hast begun to show your servant your greatness and thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven and on earth that can do according to your works or according to your might? And said, go on down. This next couple of verses talks about how he can't go into the promised land. Skip on down, please, to, uh, to verse 27. It says, get, God told him, said, get thee up into the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and behold it with your eyes. For you won't go over this, Jordan. Verse 28, but charge Joshua. And encourage him and strengthen him, for he will go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. He will cause them to inherit the land that you get to take a look at. To be obedient to the Lord, I'm not going to teach it. Go to the next verse, Deuteronomy 7. Okay, Deuteronomy 7, I'm just going to read two verses. Verses 6 and 7, I think. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. What did, he, what did Pastor Jack talk about being a holy people? Walking, glory to God. The Lord thy God has chosen you to be a special people to himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. Watch this. But because the Lord loved you. 
And because he would keep, uh uh-oh, here's the promise again. He would keep the oath which he had sworn to your fathers has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And lastly, Joshua chapter one. Hallelujah. I'm gonna read this. I'll encourage you here really quickly. Handle any kingdom business the Lord has and then we'll be dismissed. Joshua chapter one says, this is, this is the, the Lord of the angel armies. I believe it was pre-incarnate Jesus, personal opinion. I'm not trying to preach that as, but I believe that the Lord Jesus showed up to Joshua to command him. And it says here in Joshua chapter one, uh, well, I'm just gonna read verses five and six. There shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now watch, verse six. Be strong and of a good courage. Unto this people, everybody in here say, that's me. Unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear, there's the promise, there's the oath, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. I'm gonna read one phrase out of the Amplified in verse six, and it's this. It says, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land, which I swore to their fathers. There's a mighty, mighty, amazing thing that began years ago. Brother Jerry was here, as I just learned, I guess, and sealed some of this, prayed over this. Uh, That's 2019. I'm four years later, and I don't know anything about that. But I've got a word for today, as I finish up here this morning, that I want you to understand. Moses absolutely could not take the people across the Jordan. But Joshua absolutely could not stand face to face before God and get the mandate and bring the people out of Egypt. And the Lord shared something with me, Brother Jack and Brother Jack, about your hearts in this transition. Now, this is not word for word. I mean, this is not exact. This metaphor, I mean, Pastor Jack's not going up on, on the mountain and and the Lord's not going to take him. I'm not saying that. In fact, in fact, you're going to do more than see into, you've already seen into some things and you've already seen prophetically where this is going to go, should the Lord tarry after your days. But not only that, you're starting to see some of the harvest now that you knew, I mean, you sowed in famine. You sowed in tears. I know this by the spirit. I don't know this in the natural, but I know by the spirit of God that you're a man of faith. I know by the Spirit of God that you have done the things that you've done with integrity. I I haven't traveled very much yet, but before I go into the churches that I go into, um, the only thing that I really pray, a lot of people say, I have the spirit of discernment. That's not even a gift. It's called the gift of the discerning of spirits. And so I've prayed that I'll be able to discern the spiritual atmosphere of a place. And brother, I'm telling you, when I got off the plane, when, when we just began talking about just life. Oh, there's such a rich heritage. There's such a rich spirit here. And I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe I've talked to, I'm talking to people who've been here 30 years. Maybe I'm talking to people who have been here 30 days. But what I know beyond any shadow of a doubt is this. God is doing something and has called you to step into something. Because here's the end of the story. Joshua didn't do it by himself. It says, cause the people to inherit. 
There is an inheritance for you. God never does anything for an organization. God does things for people. And when people come together in the spirit of unity and in the spirit of faith together, then the company can survive and thrive more than you could possibly fathom because it's, it's like... It's like when people, uh, I don't like to usually give credit to movies, but I saw a movie that had just a horrible line that got a lot of press. It wasn't a dirty word, but it's uh, Tom Cruise was in this movie and fell, falls in love with this girl. I'm not even going to quote the name of the movie, but he goes, you complete me. And so what a load of trash, right? What a load of trash. I'm just telling you right now, if you're married or if you're thinking about married, getting married, listen. People don't complete each other. The man needs to be completed by the Heavenly Father, know his identity. The woman needs to be complete and know her identity. A marriage is called to be two complete people that come together, not two half broken people looking for somebody else to be their God and their Savior. Anyway, anyway, what I'm saying is you are called to go in as a completed person and inherit Joshua in this metaphor. This is Joshua over here. But Joshua didn't uh, burnish the, uh, you know, burnish the, old, the only sword, right? Brandish. I just said the wrong word. Anyway, every man of war had their sword, and they all went in together in one might, in one accord, understanding the purpose and the vision. And so this is a New Testament church. I don't mean to overly, overly um, make a connection that's not there. This is what the Lord told me to say to you. So in the New Testament perspective, I'll say this. The next chapter, put Joshua chapter 2 on the screen, please, Jonathan. Joshua 2, I think it's verse 11. Let me just flip the page here. This is the end of the story for you guys. They sent sent two spies to go in, right? And they go to Rahab's house. And Rahab is a harlot. We've got our kids with us in here, but there's other words for it in the 21st century. That's what she was. And um, so she didn't really have a place in the kingdom of God, yet she ends up in Hebrews chapter 11 as what a mighty woman of faith. Why? Because of what came out of her mouth right here. Listen to this. Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. I'll read verses 9 through 11. Verse 9 says, she said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land. Now she had more faith. Now I want you to see this. She had more faith than the other 10 spies that came back, not named Joshua and Caleb. One time I was praying about it. The Lord showed me something that was just, I mean, it was like right here in front of my face, but I was too stupid to see it for years. I always said, like, and I've asked people before, and most of you will say the same answer I did. You know, two, two people, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, we're well able to take it. The other, two, the other 10 people came back and said, we're not able to take it. We'll never go in there. Which ones got what they said? Most people say the two. All 12 of them got what they said. That's the thing. That's the thing you've got to see. The two people that said they're well able to do it, they were well able to do it. In fact, Caleb at 85 years old was still as strong as when he was 40 years old to go in and possess his part that God gave him. Glory to God. But don't be like one of the 10. Don't say you can't do it. Rahab a harlot in a heathen land had more faith than they did. She said this, she said, I know the Lord's given you the land and that you, your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed, last verse of the day. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. 
Listen to what she said. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God. He is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. And the Lord showed me this in conclusion. The Lord showed me this not even very long ago. They came across the Red Sea, I think it's Exodus 15, they're dancing, right? Miriam sings and they're all dancing and they're all just praising God and I almost did the Carlton there. <laughs> anyway, they're all dancing and praising God. And for 40 years after that, they don't do much more praising. They had an 11 day walk to go across the river and to take that land. And the whole time, you read Numbers 33, they came back and said, we're like, we're like grasshoppers. No, they had no idea that the other ones that were the giants physically were the real grasshoppers. They had no idea. They were really the ones who were the giants. They were the ones to go in there. They were the spiritual giants who were called to go in and possess the land and take every inch of everything that God put, put out there for them. And so I just want to tell you today that there is a move of God I believe that Houston is ripe for. West Houston is ripe for revival. We see it, that uh, Asbury thing, I, I live way down by Cincinnati, southern, southern Cincinnati. I only live about an hour and a half from Asbury. Um, the Lord didn't call me to go, so I didn't go. Um, but amazing things, praise God for it. There's revivals popping up everywhere. But listen to this, revival can sometimes, can sometimes have an emotional hook that's gone. It's here today and gone tomorrow. We're called to live in a perpetual state of being who we've been made to be in Christ, not be moved by the whims of emotion and moved by these things. I'm thankful for the revival. But when the revival comes and goes in the, the form that people think is revival, what is left in your heart? What's left at your dinner table? What is left around your family? What is left in your identity? Because that's gonna be this test, that's gonna stand the test of time, and that's gonna be the Thing that's going to draw people, baby, I'm talking about by the dozens and dozens. You'll have influence over people. You'll have Bible studies in your house and the strangers will show up and you'll say, oh, you think this is good? Come Sunday to church with me. And this place is going to explode. I'm telling you, this place is going to explode. The more and more and more you are sure of who God's made you to be. Wow. Wow. Come on, let's just stand up for a moment. Let's give God praise. Come on, give God praise. Come on, thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, I will declare this. I will declare this. And I'm not even certain. I'm not going to say I will have enough integrity to, to say when, when I believe something I'm hearing from heaven prophetically and when this is just me as a born again believer that's just declaring some things. I'm just going to declare some things over this church. I'm not prophesying, except I am, but this is not from the, the head of the church. This is from my reborn spirit going to be speaking over you this morning. And I'm just going to, you know what I see right now? Uh, if, you, if you believe wholeheartedly. Now, wholeheartedly, now I'm not much for, uh, you know, I'm, I'm big on making a decision for Jesus. We, we have people step out and receive Jesus at our church, but I'm not here to put anybody on the spot, but I just see us all right up here. Just come on, just come on up here this morning. Um, I, I'm not gonna lay hands on a lot of people. I don't see any of that. I, want, I see unity. I see us together here. I just ask that we just kind of be here as a, a physical representation of just drawing nigh, nigh to God. The Bible says in the book of James, yeah, you draw nigh to God, he draws nigh to you. 
And this is not like he never leaves us or forsakes us or anything like that. But something happens when you take a step of faith out. Something happens when you step out in faith and say, yeah, preacher man, everything that you said, that's me. I am a believer. I'm not a doubter. I'm a new covenant, new creation man or woman of God. And I'm here for you, King Jesus. And so I'm just going to declare some things over this, over this body of believers. Is that all right this morning? Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I thank you that this church in this area is the head. I thank you, Father, that you are speaking mightily and clearly to every man, woman, and child under the sound of my voice. Father, I thank you for newness of spirit, newness, a, a, a rejuvenation of fervor and vigor to go after the things of God, to go after the things that you've called them to go after. And so, Father, I believe and I speak right now that this is a church of destiny. And just as uh, Pastor Jack Sr. has led us to the, to the Jordan River and there, there is absolutely land to take in this region. There is spiritual ground to step over this Jordan River and step into it. And I really, I, I see this by the Spirit. Already the, the worship has gone forth and the Word has gone forth just like that ark and the river has peeled back and it's a time right now. Hey, hey, shebro so toronomoso. Yeah, by the Spirit of the Lord, I will say the time is now to not walk, but to run over this Jordan, to run into the promised land. Jericho and all the other cities that are on the other side are ripe for the taking. For I've called you to step into a place of destiny, saith the Lord. I have declared the end from the beginning, and the days are short. You are the 11th hour harvesters who will step in and see the fields that are white with harvest. And the last workers will receive the same wages as those that have been working all day. And you will step into a place with fervor and with diligence and by the grace of God you will do what I've called you to do and you will represent me. You will not walk in the ways of Adam. You will walk in the ways of my son Jesus who's the firstborn of many brethren. And so you are also born with him. You have been born again with him and seated with him. And so step up into your place. Step into your rightful place of authority not so that you can wield it not so you can say, look what I've done. Look at the hand and the strength of my arm. But Lord says, the Lord would say today, just like we just read, that he is doing it because of compassion for the people, because he loves you and because he has made an oath and sworn by your father Abraham and then ratified by your big brother Jesus that he'll never leave you or forsake you and the end of your destiny is nigh at hand, says the Lord Jesus. So Father, I thank you for it. I praise you for it and we give you the glory for every part of what you're saying to this body of believers. May there be a boldness and a new fervor to step up and step in and step out into the place you've called us to step. We give you praise for it and give you thanks for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to hand it back over to Pastor Jack as you go back. To your seats or if you want to stay up here and fellowship or whatever I but I got uh, I've got one thing that I'll share with you as you go back to your seats and just a little bit about me um, personally just want to share one thing and uh, again I didn't want to do this up front because this is just an afterthought it really is um, but I, I just want to share uh, Miss Emily is going to be standing with me in the back I don't have any product to sell. I, don't, I didn't bring anything with me like that. I just have a card that I would like every household to get one. Every person is probably, maybe may enough for everybody, I don't know, but at least every household. This just lets you know a little bit about us. Um, we've got a YouTube 
channel that has really uh, begun to, to take off a little bit. And uh, I know you guys are reading through the Bible. Um, I don't want to step on any of that, but I will say this. I actually go up to the walkthrough, the, the one-year Bible journey. The Lord gave me a mandate. I'm in the middle of doing 365 daily readings that we're editing, and we're walking through the Bible in one year. Uh, straight from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. There's a whole story behind it, but uh, anyway, uh, I, I knew what I was getting into, but in some ways I didn't. But uh, I, I said yes to the Lord, and I obeyed, and so we're doing that. And so um, I know that you're doing a prescribed reading. We're just going straight from the beginning to the end. There's no opinion. It's just literally that three or four chapters, whatever it is that day, and then on to the next day. Um, but then... This is something that's really exciting, and your pastor is going to be a guest with us on soon. We've got to get this date uh, ironed out uh, here in the next month or so. Uh, we have a podcast that we do live every Wednesday, and you'll have to excuse this slide is wrong because this is for Eastern time zone. This is a, a slide that we play before our church service. So it's 11 o'clock here. It's noon Eastern time, um, but it's called Choose Good News. And, um, and it's based on Mark 1, 1, 15, when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So we've got to change our, our mind. That's a choosing. A repentance is changing our mind from the way we were, turning our life around and going after the good news, the gospel. And, uh, and if you have your phone, you can, you can scan that there and you can find our YouTube channel. But we'll just give you one of these cards. It shows you how to follow our social media and, uh, and our YouTube. So uh, Facebook, Instagram, we have daily Post that our team does, and then, uh, but you can grab one of these cards. I thank you so much. Absolutely. You're a blessing, my, my brother. I love you. Thank you. Yes, Hallelujah. Thank you. Give him a big hand. That was fantastic.